Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is uh, great to uh, see everybody and to be together today and welcome uh, our friends in uh, Newburn and in Leland. Thank you guys. Uh, just always great to consider just people, how people are participating with us in uh, so many different ways. And it's always, uh, it's always an honor um, for me to have this particular seat and to be together uh, in this way. We are uh, beginning a new series um, called Goodness. We're just talking about uh, what it would be like uh, if we could be something uh, in the world that was uh, different than what we have. Last week, um, we handed out these books. Uh, how many of you guys have already read it? Yes. I was going to, how long it take you? Anybody get like any, how long? Two hours, hour and a half? One sitting or two? One sitting. Anybody like more, more sittings? Like how many you got did multiple? I'm just kidding. We could go around the whole room and do this, right? Um, I want you to read, uh, I want you to read this um, for, for many reasons. I want for us to slow down um, I want for us to see some things. I want for us to consider some things. This, it's, it, you know, the way I've described this is it gives us a chance to kind of um, poke around, to, to observe some things, to look at some things, um, particularly in a, in a world where everything is soundbite and everything is fast and everything is just trying to get a reaction or an emotion um, out of you and uh, out of us. We've been talking about this idea and I wanna just keep kind of pressing on this that we have been exploring this idea that what if, if God intends for us to belong together and that it is somehow in our belonging that we were to become. And then the question that ought to arise is become what? Because it kind of matters. Um, if, if you're to become, I, I wanna go, I'll be a little bit more benign. I gotta behave today. Um, to become, what would, what would it be like or what is it that God wants for you and I to become? What if we just considered that perhaps we would become good? Like what if that was something that was available to us and to you? And most of us immediately began to scale, well, I am good, I'm a good person. And then what you usually scale that against is I'm a good person compared to someone, right, who is worse than you or some behavior that you would never, ever, ever do, but this person does. And so it's very easy for us to scale and to justify why it is that we are good or would be good. There's a prayer that we grew up with, or maybe you grew up with if you were in this, and it says it's a children's prayer. And it says, God is great. God is good, Right. Let us thank him for our food, yada, yada, yada. But, but those two, that God is great, God is good. And we've added sort of a third in our own uh, sort of mantra, our own sort of confessions. We say God is great, God is good, and God is near. We've been doing this internally for the last few years. God is great, God is good, God is near. And what are the implications on all of those things? To think about being good and what it would be like to become good, to be good, to live in this way. And I'm not talking about to behave good enough so that you can belong. I'm saying that if you belonged and if you became, this is what would happen in you. 
There would be a sense of goodness that would come in and through and out of your life and my life and our lives together. God is great. The idea of greatness is to sit back and kind of jaw dropping like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, great. To be good is something a little bit more accessible, right? Like, like Boom Bilates is good. Now, if you're from somewhere else, you know what I'm talking about, but, but it's like, because it's, there's, it's accessible, you can, you can savor it, there's something in it that's like, this is, this is good. It's a different expression. It's good. And there's an ancient confession that's throughout the scriptures. It's found in multiple places in Psalms, but you would find it in a lot of the songs that were sung um, throughout the, the collection or through the, the um, history of God's people. They would say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. That somehow our gratitude arises from his goodness. Yes, it's from the good things that he's done for us. Yes, it's from the things we've been able to experience him, but there's a goodness to him that we've got to see and understand and consider and think about as we consider our reach as a church, what I'm asking you and I, what I'm asking us to become convinced of is that who we are is more important than all of the strategies and strategic plans, all the things that we have. It's who we are becoming. And the reason is because who we are will actually govern us and, and, and determine our willingness to do the kind of things that will be required of us um, to be the kind of church and the kind of people that God uh, wants for us to be and to do the kind of things that God wants to do and to return the world uh, into at least glimmers of the way that God wants it to be. This, to demonstrate God's love for the world is for us to be a people, like to, to demonstrate God's love for the world to the people of our city and to the ordering of things in our very own city and our own region and to work for or towards God's heart for the things over which we have influence. But that's what we should be paying attention to. Um, the reason is very simple because we've been created in God's image. If God himself is good and we have been created in his image, that means we also need to learn what it means to be good. I'm gonna talk about some things in a way that perhaps you're not accustomed um, to hearing them. But a lot of us, when we just think about good, we immediately think about um, being well-behaved. Uh, believing in the right issues and voting for the right issues. I've heard this so many times over the last few months. People are going to, to vote and all this stuff and they're like, oh man, I'm gonna vote. I hope people vote for the right people. But if they don't, God has a plan. And let me tell you, God has a plan regardless. He has a plan and his plan ain't that. It's us. It's any of us who are willing to become the kind of people to return to the Imago Dei, to the image of God, the way he has created us and called us. That is his plan. It's always been his plan. That plan exists in the harshest and most oppressed places in the world. And it also is his plan in the freest and most accessible places in the world. Regardless of what happens in any direction, God has a plan and it has not changed. He is returning us to this way of life under the rule of his love. I want for us to consider that goodness is beyond sort of moral compliance or being well behaved. And it's also deeper than sort of just a sense of richness, like eating boombalatis on a nice fall evening, right? Those kind of things. There's a kind of goodness that calls us and invites us to experience something distinctly different than what we experience in the world. And then to also to contribute that um, outward. That's what I feel like God is 
calling us to, but it has to begin in us. So I got suspended uh, from my mail delivery for 10 days. This happened to me, this is a true story. Um, we have a mailbox in our neighborhood. Our mailboxes are all in one place in our neighborhood. And you have to go down with a key. So not in our driveways like most people. You have to go down with a key. You have to unlock your mailbox. And you have to pull your mail out. And um, I'll, I'll, I'm, I know I, I've apologized to my mailman uh, so many times because I forget to check my mail and it, it just gets crammed in there. And I'm, like, oh, I'm so sorry. So I pull it out and I bring it back. And we sort it all and do all this. And this has gone on for years. In fact, not so long ago, I got a box. And we have this, this, this has nothing to do with the story, but our, it has a little frame. They can put it in from the back and there's no frame. In the front, there's a frame. So they put the box in at an angle and the box hit the frame in the front. So when I, get, I couldn't get the box out. So I had to like go back, get an exact, and I've come back, cut the box open, take the thing out, bend the box, get it out, put it back. So this goes, this is our, this is our mail experience every day. It's always something. So <clears throat> a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago to be exact, I go in there and I said, you gotta check the mail. I said, oh, I forgot to check the mail. I haven't checked it all week. We hadn't ch probably checked it in, in a week and a half. So I go down there and I open it up and there's nothing in there. And I reach in there and there's a little pink slip. And it says, you're being punished. Your mail has been confiscated and placed on hold for 10 days. You have to come down to the jail, to actually not this post office. You have to come down to the post office to pick it up. I was like, and I've, I've told this story, people are like, can they do that? Like, yeah, evidently they can, they did. So I'm on mail restriction for 10, I'm like I made it through middle school, high school without ever getting suspended and I get suspended by the US mail. And when I went out to pick it up, it was a box. And this is, this is why my mailbox was jammed full. You know what this is, right? This is about two days worth of political ads. Now, I'm not too dumb. I've covered them all up so you can't see any pictures on there and, and any kind of subliminal whatever. But, these, these, but this is what's interesting about this. Because every one of these has a picture of who's running for office on them. And those pictures, most of them are not people smiling and doing this, right? They find the most, you know what I'm talking about? The most contorted, like they're talking and they just like make it red and dark and make them look like Satan. And then go, this person is trying to ruin your life. And it's, and it's everybody, it's everybody. And I got and I'm like, these are, these are, they're, they're artists and people who are obviously competent in graphic design and putting things together and doing beautiful things. And this is what's, and listen, I want to be really careful because I've got, I've got good friends. I see their pictures. I'm like, that's not who they are, how they are. Like that, I know them, but it's how they're being represented. And, and I get the fact that that's what you have to do to play the game. I get, it. I don't want to be disparaging to that, but could we all like agree that that ain't good? That you would have to do that isn't good. Something has gone awry that this is the way you have to do things or be in order to make things happen. Something else is going on. To begin to think about goodness, because you can say, oh yes, it's good if this person gets elected versus that person. It's good for this person. If you did what it took to win, it's good to do that. But if you look at the whole thing, it is not really good what's happening underneath, what has happened to us that has caused this to be the tone and the way, and this is, I could go through, this is the low hanging fruit. 
We can talk about almost every issue in our culture where people are polarized and they talk about things as though my side is right, this side is wrong. Like, do you not realize that that doesn't really matter like who's right, this isn't good? It's not good. And what we're to be longing for is a return for something to be like this in the world once again. And he uses us to do this. Now, you know, I, I think of this, you know, could, could we, the interesting thing about this is what, what people ask, does this make me mad? It doesn't make me mad. It makes me sad. Because you had to take someone's image, their God-given image, and deliberately distort it to do something that you want to do. And the reality is we don't just do it in our political lives, we do it all the time to each other in so many ways. We do it to our family members, we do it to our friends, we do it to our coworkers, we do it to our bosses, we do it to our employees. It's a return to this imago day, this image of God that we've been created with. The thing that I've been doing over the last 10, 15 years is trying to begin the gospel in the beginning. The gospel begins in the beginning. So I've been reading this over and over and over again. There was a recent study that talked about a lot of uh, sort of the next generation, people in their 20s, or probably, probably 20s and under, about Christianity and their beliefs about God and Jesus in the Bible. And one of the sentiments that was, was represented quite frequently was, I don't just want to know if Christianity is true. I want to know if it's good. I want to know if it's good. And so how we think about this actually matters, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all of this begins to unfold. I just wanna read this. I wanna just go back. I wanna talk about this idea of original good. We, we talk a lot about original sin and please, we're gonna kind of poke into that a little bit more uh, next week. But original good, when God created everything, listen to what he says. Then God said, verse 26, He's already created everything. He's, he's, he's looked at it and said, oh, this is good. And oh, this is good. And oh, this is good. And then verse 26, let us create man, let us make mankind in our own image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. And the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This isn't just a call for you to be a lion tamer, right? It's something else in this. He's inviting us into something. And then God goes on, I've given you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit uh, with, it, with seed in it, this, they will be yours for food and to all the beasts and the, of the earth and the birds and the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food and it was so. And then verse 31, God backs up and he looks at all that had been done and he says, this is very good. This is very, very good. There was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. To think about it being very good is not to think about being morally correct. Did he give Adam a pop quiz or Eve a pop quiz to see which positions they would line up with? When he said it was good, it had nothing to do with that. It was the richness it was beauty. 
It was inspiring. It was moving. We've all experienced this. I'm talking about a goodness, something that compels us and calls us and draws us and causes us to stop and to consider and to pause. This is pleasing to us. What I mean by original goodness is that God had created everything. And we, we, we talked about this, but we, he, he would stop and he would assess what he has done. He says, oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. And then he breathed the breath of life into this beautiful, intimate orchestration called humanity, Imago Dei. And he entrusted us to participate and to contribute and to cooperate with him in what he'd made. And then he observed it again and he said, oh, this is, this is really good. I want for us to be able to return to those places. To be really honest, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of walk you through some of my journey. I wanna look at just, we could, we could go to so many different places in the scriptures. But I wanna look in Isaiah. And I want us to start thinking about the implications of goodness because I grew up in the church. I was a good kid. I was a good youth group kid. It means I went to youth group. I led the right groups. I behaved myself well. I was a good kid. Some of you know what I'm talking about because some of you weren't good kids. You were bad kids, right? You know exactly what, what that is. There's this really clear delineation. <clears throat> and, and all the while, everything, about, and again, some of this was just my own um, blindness, my own unwillingness. There's a lot of factors in this, but there was this sense that goodness was about me being a good person. And that was it. And if I could be a good person and not have any of the sin patterns that wrecked other people's lives, then I'd be a good person. Then I could get a job and I could give money to the church and the church would go on and do what it had always done, which is get good people together, give money, and then just perpetuate this thing. And that was kind of how, how I thought. If you began to trickle into other places, right, it, was, it became dangerous. I have a sticky note in my Bible. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, because my relationship with Isaiah is kind of troubled sometimes. One of the things that's been interesting, the longer I've, I've lived and walked with the Lord and I read the Bible, um, the more I find that there are places in the Bible that I gravitate towards and I really like. And there are places in the Bible <laughs> that I don't like so much. Do y'all find this to be true? Okay, just some of you go, nope, the whole Bible, man, I just believe it all. I, I, I believe it all. I'm just saying there are parts that I like a lot better than others. And Isaiah was one of those that I like parts of it. I like, you know, um, for unto us is born this day. You know, uh, uh, you know, his name is to be called Emmanuel. He's the wonderful counselor. I like, I like Isaiah for that stuff. You know, I like it for, and we all like sheep have gone astray, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. But there's an awful lot in here that, that bothers me. And, and here's one example in Isaiah chapter one. The very beginning, it, it starts off and it's basically God has a beef with his people because they keep trying to act like they're good without the implications of being good. They basically said, we're moral, we keep all the rules. And God's like, well, I'm sick of your sacrifices and you're doing all the right things because it's not amounting to what I intend for it to be. That's basically what he's saying. So then he says this in verse 16 and 17. So I can get behind this. Okay, God, I've messed up. This is how I think about, you know, I've messed up. Then he says, wash and make yourselves clean, verse 16. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do good. Perfect. You know what I like about that? I can do all of those things. I can get sincere and feel bad about what I've done. I can like promise to never do it again. 
I can say, oh, I'm not gonna do this, at least for the time being. I'll say I'm never gonna do it again, but you know how that goes. I can like make sure I don't look at anything bad and then I can learn how to do good things. I can do all those things. I found out my, and I would often stop reading there, but the problem is it keeps going. Stop doing wrong, cease, right? Look at this, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And I would see this over and over and over and over again in Isaiah. And it just felt like this, what we would call the social gospel, sort of removed from the, the real gospel of God forgiving us for our sins. Does, does anyone ever feel this? Because it's a lot easier for me to deal with me and my sins and trying to be a good person. It's a whole other adventure to understand what this would look like should it come to bear out of our lives and on the world around us. That goodness is presented as a fruit of something that happens. It's, it's evidence of God's love. The way I wrote this in my notes is that, that goodness is an expression of God's essence. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His goodness is an expression of his heart, of his love. It's who he is. He is good. But that's not enough for us to be able to simply say, oh, he's good and I love being in his goodness, that his goodness, God, God's goodness is an expression of God's essence also in the world. It comes to bear on the world around us. Galatians chapter five, it begins and it says this in this uh, section we're gonna kind of close with in just a few moments. But he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your own way of life, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, everything that you can pile up and talk about is fulfilled in this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and you devour each other, if you harm imago Dei in one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. We're gonna talk about this uh, in, a, in a few weeks, this, this whole idea. The sticky note that sits in the book of Isaiah says this, God intends for the world to know his love and he intends for it to happen through me. <sighs> I want for people I like to know my love, God's love. I, and this, it just, it just, it challenges me. When the Bible talks about this, it says that there's a fruit of the Spirit. When Jesus talks about that if we abide in Him, remain in Him, we will bear much fruit. Fruit comes out of us. And it's a, it's a perfect metaphor. It's why I think the book Companion Planted has such a richness to it because it talks about this idea of fruitfulness. It gives us a picture of fruitfulness. And fruitfulness has two implications for your life and mine. Fruitfulness, right? God could have made a much more efficient system of keeping time 
and seasons and to get us food. I mean, like, man, I can go down to the grocery store and buy all these peppers just like that. I've grown them in my yard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot, you know, it, there's a lot of things. And then you get like a pepper, it's like this big. I can buy one this big. It's this big and it's been there for however many months. I'm like, God, could we not do this a little quicker, a little faster? I'm thinking if I had to depend on my agricultural skills to survive, the human race would be over in one generation. But there is something about it, right? When, when you begin to see this unfold and you, you kind of find the process, there's something in this. And when God does, he's talking about fruit and it comes out of something else. And the reality is to watch this unfold, it's a beautiful thing. There's a beauty to fruitfulness. Orange grows and people drive to the mountains to go pick apples in the apple orchard. You can buy apples, right, at the grocery store, but you go to the orchard because there's a beauty to it. Fruit is to be a beautiful thing. The fruit of your life ought to have an air of goodness in the world around you. People ought to see and say, that's moving and pleasing and there's a richness to it. But it's not just that leave fruit on the tree long enough, it'll get too heavy, it'll rot, it'll fall over, all the things happen. Fruit is designed for other people's nourishment. This, this is exactly the metaphor that you and I have to continually ask ourselves and think about and consider for ourselves. Our goodness has implications and those implications of your being made in the image of God, of your becoming good, come with responsibility. When I talk about original good, I'm talking about that God, I believe, longs to return the world, all of the world, back into the way he intended for it to be. I believe this is the essence of shalom, that everything is rightly related to everything else. When he talks about seeking justice, it's not about making sure that the guilty are punished. To seek justice means to return to shalom. It's the redemption of the shalom. It's the calling back to being rightly related. Like we, we have to have a vision. So otherwise we're gonna get sucked into all these other things. And we'll, we might be right, but we'll go, but man, this ain't good. God is doing something much deeper and he's calling us into something much fuller and much richer. His redemptive promise is the return to his original goodness and to our original goodness. That's what I believe God is calling us to become. These, these wholehearted human beings who cooperate and dwell and live richly with him. And then out of that, the world is nourished or shaped and is moved by it. I mean, one of the most hopeful things now is the bar ain't that high. It ain't that high. Like there's a lot of things that you and I can do anytime to bring goodness to bear on the world around us. It's gonna require for us to live in him, to dwell in him, life with him. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit, Jesus said, but apart from me, he can do nothing. So there's two things I wanna give you and I'll put them on the board. In order to become good, it requires, number one is it requires a rule. God intended us to live underneath his care. The way I often talk about this, and you've heard this before, is the rule of God's love. The rule of love is far more demanding than the rule of law could ever be because the rule of law allows you to be right in all the wrong ways. The rule of love demands us to become good. 
It's not enough to be right or correct or to win. It's to be good. It's to be good. If it were just about winning, everybody would love the Patriots and Tom Brady, right? But the reason because he cheated and they do this. And it's like, we, they're not good, so we don't, right? We, we know there's a different standard. I like the Patriots. I like Tom Brady. And I'm sad that they're losing this year. But there's a rule. And here's what I mean by this. There's an authority and a responsibility. There's a way of governing your life, our lives, our community. There's a way of valuing. There's a way of prioritizing. We all get to make choices into how we are going to enter into every interaction. When a person who serves you in a restaurant botches your order, you have the right to let them have it for their incompetence, right? That may be your right. You may, they may, you may be dead on, but you've got a choice to make in what you're gonna value in that moment. Every single one, and we've lost this because our sense of justice is based on right or wrong and not based on being whole and right and full and free. We've got to find ways to say, how are we, what are we going to value and prioritize in all the different moments that we experience um, in the course of our lives? And number two, so that's a rule. Number two, and there's just no easy way around this. You just have to develop the will to do it. I wish I could say, hey, here's two easy steps and you can walk with Jesus. I learned a long time ago that I'm all interested in following Jesus as long as he leads me to where I want him to take me. But when he begins to ask me to be concerned about things, that I'm not inclined to be concerned about when he's pressing on me in places and ways that I'm like, yeah, then it gets really tough. And it becomes a matter of submission and willingness to learn and willingness to stay in and willingness to be shaped, to belong in order to become, to become what? To not to become right, to become good. That we would be a place, a bastion of goodness in this world that is always you know, sort of been this way, but it just it seems to be bubbling a little bit more prevalently today. It's a choice. It's a way of choosing and acting upon the world around us. You always have influence in every moment that you're in. Always. I got yelled at for not turning right on red about three weeks ago by a guy on a motorcycle. Like he yelled at me, like he was going to like fight me or something. And I'm in a car for one. I'm thinking <laughs> reverse. I mean, like, I'm just like, like, what are you doing? That was the first thought in my head. I captured that thought to get captive, made it obedience to Christ. And then it makes me sad. Sad. This guy is yelling at another human being. Like what happens? What happens in a person yeah, I'm slow. I don't drive good. I get it. He was right. I should have turned faster than I did. But it's not good. Like, what, like what are we doing? Are we willing to see that? Because there's influence. It all, it's not, but I still remember it. Like, I I'm a grown man. And I still remember it. Like, there's things that happen all the time, everywhere. The way you interact with people. It's a will. It's a will for us to recognize that we are acting upon the world and other people. 
We are acting upon the systems and the things, and this is created by what we desire. And it's fueled by our intentions. We can all sit back and make excuses for why we don't get involved in things. I'm busy, I got this, I got that. A rule and a will. It's not just enough for a church to do good deeds, and do some nice things. And we're gonna talk more about this. I mean, I think what, what we're hearing from some of our efforts, our goal is not to go in and to work in some of these issues that I believe are important to God's heart when it comes to poverty and it comes to people continually being undermined generation after generation. I think we've gotta be willing to get proximate, to do some things that are gonna matter and they're gonna matter over the long haul and not just enough things to assuage our conscience so we feel like we've done something. That's goodness. Goodness is gonna fuel that. I've been quoting from Rick's book for the last seven weeks. I'm not gonna stop now. There is another kind of goodness. It is an internal goodness. Whether you call it good character, moral virtue, integrity, fidelity, or something else, this internal beauty and goodness must coincide with an external beauty and good works. It just, we just have to have a will to do this. Our deepening purpose must feed both together. Let not the world see just good people or good works. Let the world see good people doing good works. Or as Jesus would say it, let your light so shine before men that they would see the overflow of God's essence, of his goodness and his love. And they would say, oh, that looks like God. That looks like good. That looks like all the things that we have been created and long for in the depths of who we are. Can you imagine what it would be like if you decided to bring a sense of good to everything that you touched? This, if you decided to bring a good to 20% of everything that you touched. There's an authority that we live under, the rule of God's love. There's a will that is required for us to say, how are we going to act upon the world and the culture in a way that works to redeem what God already intends to do. I wanna close with this benediction. This is out of Galatians chapter five, where it says the fruit of the spirit is love, it's joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Let us walk in the spirit and it goes on. But I wanna read this. This is from the paraphrase of the message. But what happens if we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, 
We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's what it looks like. But I say, do not use your freedom to indulge your own way, but rather to serve others. Since this is the kind of life we've chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold up an idea, hold it up as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we'll not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another was worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us has been made an original, made in the image of God. Father, could it be that we would be able to see that in others? And in order to do that, we have to see it in ourselves, to love others the way we love ourselves. These are the implications of this. God, there's so much in our world that demands us to be so wise and so discerning. God, will we prioritize the things that reflect your heart and that reflect your intention, that we could bring a sense of your divine and designed goodness into this world as a fruit from our lives as we are more closely formed into your image. God, who would see us and say, whew, that looks like the God we would love to know. I ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.